Hey everybody, welcome to Guys Who Law. I'm Jesse Weber. I'm Andrew Iceberg. And we have, Andrew, we have a different show for everybody today, don't we? We have the people who this podcast would not have been created <laughs> without these two guests that are here. We have the parents who kind of law, some of them law. My dad is here today and so is Jesse's dad. That's right. So first up, my father's here, Mark Weber. Hi there. <laughs> and my dad, David Icebrook. Hey guys, David Icebrook Esquire, also also a lawyer, also a guy who laws. Hey guys, guys who law. Pleasure to be here. Now I wonder if everybody who's listening thinks that we sound like our like our dads. No, my voice is definitely more cracky than my dad's. I don't know about that. <laughs> this is Mark Weber. <laughs> Here I am. What's the name of this podcast? Guys Who Law. Guys Who Law. I'm just guys who use the law. You, you know what's interesting is my father has an advantage over everybody because I co-host a radio show with him, but he's the main star of the radio. So he knows exactly how to speak into this microphone. Well, that, we're actually kind of in competition because we both co-host with Jesse. There we go. So That means I'm getting no air time. <laughs> yeah. But luckily, you, you can speak. You can uh, speak pretty well. Uh, once in a while. All right. So we're, we wanted to have a special... That was our introduction? Well, we're not done yet. Oh. That was it? We, That's we, it? We're going to do the Mark, introduction. Mark, Mark, tell me about yourself. <laughs> well, hold on. Hold on. Forget it. They had their chance. Hold okay. on. So who should we start with first? I'll start. Okay. Yeah. Why don't you introduce your dad? I'll introduce. Okay. My dad. Well, oh, now you do. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Go. All right. So I'm I'm not going to introduce my father. I want him to introduce himself to everyone here. This is Mark Weber. This is guys that law. Who law? But close enough. Guys who law. I'm a former corporate executive. I was the CEO of a couple of companies, and now I have my own radio show. But I must admit, I feel very comfortable talking the law because in a corporate life, law plays a major role. And I've always respected and thought a great deal of lawyers. So I'm very happy to be here today, guys. And my dad, I, uh, I followed in his footsteps and became a lawyer, sort of, also. Um, but I'll let you explain also. Okay. I'm David Icebrook. And uh, 29 uh, years ago, in about nine months, I had the pleasure of uh, being responsible for starting your life. <laughs> and uh, I guess I call that a Valentine baby. Because uh, between February it's Too much and information on okay. the podcast. <laughs> and uh, I'm an attorney. I am a lawyer. Um, I practice. And I also run a financial litigation company, a financial litigation funding company. So I split my time there. And uh, yeah, I had some role in, in talking to you about law school, but I knew you never wanted to practice. So I'm glad you followed your your goals. So let's start out, start out with this. When I, when I was growing up, did you expect me to go into the law? Is it something that you wanted for, for your children? Never. Never. I never thought about it. I married a lawyer, so you had two lawyers in the house. But I, your mom and I always wanted you to follow your own dreams, your own goals. And you uh, had quite a few, actually. And uh, law wasn't one of them. But was part of you happy when I, I, I finally decided? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. What was one of them? one of the other ones besides wanting to be a lawyer possibly yeah. well there was one in, <laughs> involving the um the universe and the atmosphere and maybe some planets he's let's trying, say he's trying to say that i went through a stage where i wanted to be an astronaut yeah good luck I'm and, sure and, and this was work. this was not a young stage this was this was in college right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um circling back if i was happy when you decided to go to law i was happy because i thought that it would help you obtain your goal i thought it would help you get there faster and it would be a very important tool to your involvement in the media industry. Wherever that may le have led you, I thought the law would always be a good tool for you. 
And Mark, you've probably been uh, around a lot of lawyers for um, most of your career. Um, I would think that you would be, you know, annoyed by the fact of being around more throughout your life. Like when you're when Jesse told you that he wanted to go to law school, is it something that you encouraged, or were you a little uh, pessimistic? Is that how that happened? Oh, sure, that's the way it happened. Listen, in my corporate life, whether I was a president, CEO, there was always a attorney, lawyer on our board. And they were always of the smartest top five in the company. They just had a different perspective on life, and they kept us out of a lot of trouble. And, of course, they were great advisors. So I was always taken with lawyers. That's the only way I saw them. So the idea of being a lawyer to me was very encouraging. When Jesse was in high school, after a million times, what do you want to do when you grow up? And he had no idea whatsoever. I kind of insisted he go to law school because I thought it would be a great education, that it would be a feather in his cap and a wonderful thing to be able to say to the world, I'm an attorney. And that's why I encouraged him, to say the least. Well, that was in high school. Then college came (laughs) along and I wanted to try and do anything else. Tried to do business school. That didn't work out. <laughs> and I tried to Not when you failed accounting in the first semester. It is impossible. Minor it's, problem. It's like Chinese. I couldn't figure we that out. We have a lot out. in common then. I basically did the same thing. Yeah. Well, you wanted to go to the planet. You wanted to go to Mars. That's I why mean. I changed. <laughs> yeah. So you didn't go to law school directly from college? I did. I oh, did. You ended up doing But that. you and I had a talk where you said it would have been, it's a great education for whatever you want to do. And, J- and Jared, my brother, uh, is, a, is an attorney and said, gave a pretty good roadmap for how to do it. Um, and so that's what you, you told me. To and do. I promised Jesse if he didn't like the law, he wouldn't have to practice until he graduated. And I forced him to practice. <laughs> <laughs> but you knew it was time for me to leave. Do you want to know the story? Do we have a minute to tell <laughs> of the course. story? Yeah. I have two sons who are lawyers. At one particular time, I get a call from one of my sons who says to me, Daddy, I'd like you to do me a favor. Of course. Of course. So I'd like you to come up and visit my office. Okay, when? You want me to come right now? No, it's not so simple, Daddy. Okay, what do you want? I want you to come over Saturday night at midnight. I said, what? He said, you told me you'd do me a favor. I want you to come over Saturday night at midnight. I said, okay. I go, I will come. So sure enough, we had dinner, and we went up to the law firm Saturday night at midnight, and the place was packed, packed. You would think it was Monday morning at 9 o'clock, packed. So my son looks at me and points to all these guys and all these gals and says, Daddy, those are the partners. Is this the life you want for me? And it was at that moment that I mentally came around to the fact that my son no longer had to practice law. And David, is that accurate? Well, it was interesting because I never wanted that corporate law firm environment. My wife... um, Andrew's mom, Eileen, worked for a large law firm when we were first married. So I saw that environment up close. I never um, was interested in that. I was always interested in the business side of law. I was always interested in building my own firm. Um, Did you know that in law school, though, or that was just something that developed after? No, definitely in law school. I went to law school with the idea, much like I I was trying to um, advise Andrew, that I went to law school to use it as a tool. And it ended up, I did practice, I do practice, but I was always on the business side 
of the practice. I was always better bringing in the business than I ever wanted to be researching or writing. I never saw myself researching or writing. I tried some cases early on. I think I was pretty good at it. Coincidentally, last night at the holiday party, Dr. Bodden was there, who is married to Linda Bodden from uh, the show. She's a host here. And uh, Dr. Bodden, 20 years ago, um, testified in a case that I tried in New Jersey. So we reminisced a little bit. But I made a decision shortly after that trial that either you're going to be a trial lawyer or you're going to be a rainmaker and bring in business. And I always enjoyed the business side of things. So for the, for the young lawyers who are listening to our podcast, the millions and millions of, of young lawyers who are tuning in, um, <laughs> what advice would you give them if they're if it's someone who is just starting their career in law or someone who's considering going into law school or someone who's been in that field for your entire career? I think early on, it's good to get a general practice. If you want to practice law, go to a general practice firm, hit a couple practice areas. But if you know that you want to be, if you're an entrepreneurial, and I know some people who say, you know, they're entrepreneurial lawyers and then they're lawyers who practice. If you're on the entrepreneurial entrepreneurial side and you pretty much know who you are by the time you go to law school um, and it's risky business, I say, you know, throw out the net, give it a try. Um, there are only certain practice areas you can do that. I mean, personal injury is one. I mean, I do a lot of mass tort pharmaceutical litigation, but I started with personal injury. But, you know, matrimonial, you know, criminal law. Um, bankruptcy law, all of those, the common thread there is you're representing individuals, you're not representing corporations. And there, if you're very good at networking and making connections, going out into the community, um, building up your clientele, you'll do very well. And it takes a while, but if you start young, you'll be surprised how, how well you can do in your 30s. And if you don't want to go into law, you know you don't want to be a lawyer, but you want to do something else with your life and maybe you want to go into business, would you recommend getting it because it's a really good education and maybe get an MBA, so a JD MBA? If you are smart and you want to go the corporate route, there are really two areas that are really quick to the top if you're very good at what you do. One is the law and the other is the business side, being a financial analyst, a financial banker. Those are great opportunities. I would tell you, though, the corporate world has many, many disciplines, and there are many, many ways to get to the top. But having those credentials of being an attorney gives you one foot ahead of everyone else. However, of course, you're starting after school three years later than someone who got the foot in their door. So you have a choice to make. If you like the law, you also have to love the law, I would think. My frame of reference, seeing the corporate side only, those guys, those gals are so smart, so poised, so on top of their game that I was always impressed. I just didn't know that it was like hazing in college, that the rite of passage in corporate law is to suffer and do what the, the, the people who were there before them had to do, which is work, 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 and work. You can put aside your life for a couple of years. It's a great education, I'm sure. But from my vantage point, I only have the highest regard for lawyers and attorneys because of the help they've given me in my corporate life. And to that point, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's a, it's a tough lifestyle like your son showed you. If you want to be a corporate lawyer, you're working on deals, and you work until the deal is done. And I don't care if you're on the investment banking side of corporate law or what you're doing. You know, your type of uh, the attorneys that were involved in your companies, it's, it's tough. And you, you do very well, but you're going to put in your hours. Now, that is a great introduction to the law aspect of Guys Who Law. But before we get into we have a really big topic to talk about where we're going to get the perspective. Just real quick. Andrew, do you think I look like my dad? Because I think that you look like your dad. So I was going to say the opposite. I think you guys look more alike than we do. I think I have traits of my dad. Um, but Thank people, God. But people, well, <laughs> people well, say I met I look, your mom last people night. People say I look more like my mom. 
Yeah. Um, More people say my daughter looks like me and Andrew looks like his mom. But as a child, the, the pictures are almost identical of me and really? of Andrew and me. Yeah. yeah, and I think I do think you guys look alike. <laughs> yeah. look, at, look at that I hair. They have to look the hair looks. Yeah. I think Jesse looks more like my wife than he does of me. But when I introduce my sons, I introduce them as the new improved version of yes, me. Yes, so as, <laughs> as do I. Um, well, thank you for that. Let me ask you guys this too. Um, we have a millennial podcast here, and millennials have a bad a bad rap. I feel like these days, uh, older generations think that they don't have any work ethic, um, that they're lazy not diligent, that um, they don't know what they want. What, what's, what's your view of our generation? Uh, that sounds like an old person talking. Every generation says that about the generation that's following them. Now, the world has changed dramatically in the way information is shared, and the way communication is done. It's, it's put a new light on how the world will be in the future. I think the, the, the best minds embrace it and recognize that this new generation will find its own way differently. I have concerns that this generation will lose the ability to talk. I did a radio show, one of the season's shows. Not we on did, here. We did, <laughs> we did face-to-face with the whole conversation about are you people learning or forgetting how to communicate with all the texting and all the other uh, social media advents that are there. There's still nothing more effective than speaking face-to-face and looking in someone's eyes and understanding what you're really talking about. I have a concern that those skills are being lost. Having said that, I have faith in the next generation. My dad used to tell me that every day, that if, if you text too much and if you don't talk to people and you don't go outside, you're not going to have any social skills growing up. So you're probably on the same page here. I, would I, no, I think the interpersonal communications is a lost art. And you know, when you're picking up your phone, when you're going on dating apps, when you're not going out, meeting people face-to-face, you're missing out on a whole segment of society. Jesse and I might have another opinion about the dating apps, but I see what you're saying. Uh, it's, it's called uh, convenience. <laughs> I, I think that they serve a purpose. I, I do. Um, but I do think that people use them as crutches, and they don't go out and put themselves out there as much as they should be. I agree with Mark that you know, meeting someone face-to-face, getting that first impression as opposed to getting the first impression with a text. And once you get that text on the dating app, then you go into Facebook, then you go into Instagram, then you're finding out what the bios are. You're calling someone who knows someone who knows them. I mean, th- there's no such thing as a blind date anymore. You know, go out to a bar, look at someone across the bar, catch somebody's eyes, walk over, offer them a drink. You'll be surprised how you feel. I, I tell you what, I could do a whole podcast on this, that the world has changed and dating has changed because now people are expecting to meet so many people on apps that when you go out, mm-hmm. they're like offended by you going up to them. Like, if you wanted to meet me, you should have met me on an app. I kid you not, that's <laughs> right. the world that we live in. I, I actually, I told Andrew this, one of my favorite um Shows of all time, I think Andrew uh, will, will agree with me on this because he was interested. Is the West Wing? So I re- I watch I, I, I watch repeats from time to time. I probably haven't watched it in a couple of years, but on Netflix, I turned it on the other night and I watched the pilot episode. And there was Rob Lowe, Sam Seaborn at a bar, you know, speaking politics with a friend of his, and he catches an eye of a woman across the across the bar. Wasn't she a prostitute? Well, I was getting to that. <laughs> I was getting there. She ruined the punchline. But, but she was beautiful. Caught eyes. Went home. Had a great night. She turns out she was a prostitute. They mixed, they swapped beepers by mistake. He had to go and pick his up. He thought it was going to be a political scandal. Stay tuned for, for episode two. I don't know there, what there we is. just learned from that. Go ahead. <laughs> there was, it was, I don't know roma- what the it was romantic. <laughs> it's great to be Rob Lowe. Romantic. <laughs> there was no, they weren't texting each other. They caught each other's eyes. It reminded me of how things used to be. 
Well, there is one good byproduct of all this. The written word is important. Learning how to write and present properly is, if you're smart, you're thinking about the way you're, you're organizing your text or organizing your written communication. Because in this world, as I say all the time, you're only as good as the package you make of yourself. And it, there's a lot of components to doing that, certainly the way you speak, but also now the way you write. And uh, I think that's a good byproduct of it. But there's nothing better than face-to-face. I do agree writing is extremely important, and I always impress that on my kids. Well, I think now, too, like at the beginning when texting became popular and emailing, people were, were a little bit more loose with what they put in messages, uh, like spelling and being funny and that sort of thing. But now I feel like everybody is way more careful with what they put in text because they know it can get out there. Anything that you say in a text message or an email to someone is on the record, essentially. Um, so yeah. last week... Um, Every week, when I know the subject of the radio show, what we're going to be talking about, I post it on LinkedIn. But I do it all in capitals. And the reason is I want to make it easy to read, and I want to stand out. I want to be bigger than life. One of our closest friends comes up to me the other day, and he says to me, you are so obnoxious. I said, why? He says, you post on LinkedIn caps. (laughs) You're shouting at me. I couldn't believe what I was listening to. I also think you, I still don't understand why LinkedIn is your preferred method of getting the message out there. <laughs> That's the I told you Instagram and Twitter, and yet you want LinkedIn. Because I'm a recluse. I really don't want to talk to people. But you're screaming at them. Yeah. But, you're on a ra- but you're on the radio once yeah, a week. Yeah, there's a dichotomy There's a that. little dichotomy, yeah. Okay. I, I like speaking. I like communicating. I like helping people, but I really don't like people. That's so. why you do it in a room by yourself. Yeah, well, with Jesse. Yeah. And, and, and three engineers. <laughs> right. Would you say you like people? I feel like you do some of the time. He likes people. You love people. No, but then other Did you see him at the party last night? There's other times, though, where he'll just walk away if he's not interested in speaking to a person and just go to by himself on the couch and, you, and be you, quiet for like an you hour. You both speak the truth. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I do like people. I, I consider myself a social person. It goes along with my, my business skills. Um, but I, as I've gotten older, I think my tolerance has decreased. So uh, Andrew's right that he'll see me you know, walk away sometimes and um, just... Just go into a corner and hibernate for a couple <laughs> well, hours. Well, my wife will tell me at the dinner table afterwards. Go ahead, Jess. Well, no, no, no. Uh, continue. My, no, my wife, if we're out with with couples or multiple couples on the ride home, she'll either tell me, oh, you were definitely into the crowd tonight or, oh, you really didn't have much to say, did you? <laughs> you're definitely an outside guy. The second I met you, I realized you're a sociable person. You are a seller by nature. You're That's the kind of guy you are. Me? You wind me up. You take me to a function like last night. What's the name of the party we went to? Mediaite's most influential people in media. Put on by Dan Abrams Media. So I was there, and and I'm smiling. I'm shaking hands. I work the room, and then I look at Jesse like I generally do and say, I ran out of charming. I'm out of here. (laughs) (laughs) You did a pretty good job. Thank you. Well, see, we're talking about people that you like, and maybe don't like. And that's what gets us into our main topic of the day because we figured we had both of you on here. Why not actually talk about a topic and sketch your opinions? So we could have picked a number of stories and we figured why not go so broad and get two different perspectives on President Donald Trump? Not even from the business side and legal side, but a generational, you know, we, we talk about it every week. Almost every week we have a Trump topic on our, on our podcast, whether it's Cohen, Mueller, whatever it is. But it's from two young millennial lawyers, so, you know, it's nice yeah. to have some sort of different opinion here. And, David, I want to start with you. This is the first question, and then I'm going to ask you a very similar question. If President Trump 
asked you to be a part of his legal team, would you do it? Absolutely not. Why not? Multiple reasons. Um, I think to be a member of that legal team, you have to share um, philosophic and ideological um, issues. Um, and you have to believe in what he's doing. Um, if you're there to defend him, legal team. When you say legal team, there's a broad legal team for Donald Trump. If you're talking about a defense team, um, the answer would be no. If you're talking about his in-house counsel, who's really his right arm, his consigliere, shall we say, um, I'd say no also because, again, I'd have to be able to uh, relate to his issues in a way that I'd be able to give him advice from a legal point of view. What happens if it's the White House counsel? You're representing not quite him, but the, you know, the, well, the presidency. The let's, let's put it this way. The White House counsel, his chief of staff, his high administrative positions, they've turned over more in the, in the last two years than any prior administration. That speaks for itself. And would you, if you were asked to be part of his, uh, his business administration or part of his cabinet, would you do it? Oh, what a question that is. Um, unfortunately, right now, the country's so polarized that uh, it's hard to contribute to the government. You know I wanted you and your brother both to be in politics. You've lived very clean lives. You're both attorneys. You have, uh, you've been stellar. Why not serve? And yet, neither one of you have any interest because of what you've seen in Washington. I, I watch President Trump, and he's trying to do things differently. He's trying to tackle subjects that nobody else has done, and he's getting slaughtered for it. It's one thing to, to dislike the president for some of the things he says, for some of the things he writes, for perhaps the way he says it. But if you look at the substance of what he's doing— I think that's a different conversation. I think people are judging the decision-making based on him and not the actual events. It's so hard to get things done. People all say they want change until you ask them to change. So if I thought I could go in there and be unscathed and they would judge me for the events and the things that I do. Remember, Donald Trump's a former CEO. I'm a former CEO. That's the only way I talk to him on our radio show about Donald Trump, the CEO. I can only imagine how hard it is for him to walk into a room, have all the information he needs at hand, ready to make a decision and find out there are 405 or 432 congressmen. 435. Uh, congressmen and f congresswomen, thank you, sir. <laughs> and 100 senators who also have something to say about it. And it's almost impossible to get anything done. So a long answer to a short question. If he called me, I'd think twice. And I, I don't know what I would do, but sitting from the periphery, it looks like an awful, thankless job. So a lot of people, when they criticize Trump, have big problems um, with how he conducts himself, uh, just in terms of his personality and, and how he speaks, and outside of what he's doing on a, on a policy standpoint. So for you, is it easy to separate that from what he's doing uh, you know, for businesses and internationally? Do you look at those through two different prisms, or is it one and the same? I should tell you that, <laughs> that I have met Donald Trump. I know Donald Trump. I did a deal with Donald Trump. I wrote a book called Always in Fashion. It's the name of my radio show. I'm not doing that to promote it. I'm just making a point here. Chapter 17, Negotiating with the Master. Donald Trump, you may recall, has a licensing business. A large part of his empire is renting his name 
to other people for businesses, buildings, golf courses. He doesn't necessarily own everything that his name is on. Uh, he licenses them the right to use the name. You could explain that better than I, you attorneys, what licensing is. But I met him because he wanted to be in the men's apparel business. He felt that, uh, particularly with The Apprentice, wearing shirts and ties, wearing suits, there was an opportunity. And lo and behold, he found me through his licensing arm because I was the president of a company called Phillips Van Usen. They own Van Usen shirts, which is the largest shirt maker in the world and certainly one of the most prestigious shirt makers in the world. And he wanted a, a collection of men's shirts and ties. I had absolutely no interest in it. I told that to my people who told his people. About three hours later, Donald Trump is in my office. Came up to see me in my conference room. Did you know this? Just Jesse gave me a little uh, preview. Before, so there he is in my conference here. room. And uh, Hi, Mark. Uh, you know, I'm Donald Trump. I have this business. I'd like you to be involved. Am I taking too much time doing this? No, I, I, we want to hear this. So yeah. he says, I'd like you to be uh, our partner in shirts and ties and clothing. And uh, I think this would be great for you. I know it would be great for me. I said, I have so, uh, no, absolutely no interest, Mr. Trump. I said, we recently did a deal with Regis Philbin. This is going back when Regis was on The Millionaire. Mm-hmm. We did amazing learning who Regis was, working with him. He was wearing those matching shirts and ties at the time, dark green, dark navy, matching tie. We sold a billion of them, you know, $100 million worth of shirts in a couple of years, but it died in a second. And I said, I don't want another celebrity brand that comes and goes. He says, you don't understand who I am, Mark. I have a brand. I'm building a brand. This is not just for today. I'm looking at the future. I want this forever. You How many years ago was business. this? Pardon? How many years ago was this? Uh, probably 12. Okay. I'll tell you. You'll remember from a legal point of view what happened. So I, I said, I'm really not interested. He said, you're too tough for me. <laughs> Donald Trump is telling me I'm too tough for him. I said, just explain to me why I need this. And he looked at me and he said, I'll tell you what, uh, what. You don't know about my brand. I'm going to send you all the information. I assure you, when you see this name, it's a luxury brand. I care about it dearly. It's about me. It's about my family. But more importantly than that, whatever it is you ask me to do to help you build this and grow this brand, nothing's too small. Nothing is too large. I will be there for you. He was very convincing, and in the end, we had a president in charge of the shirt business that reported into me, and they very much wanted to do this and convinced me that there was nothing to lose and assured me that they would make it work. And I subsequently agreed to do the deal. Donald Trump and his wife did everything we asked them, from the silliest things to come to our showroom and do a ribbon cutting for the little Donald Donald Trump showroom in the Van Usen building. I don't mean to interrupt. Which wife to are you referring to? Pardon me? Which wife? <laughs> no, 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 I'm the serious. Wife, Melania. No. Okay, no, you said 12 years who's, ago. Who's, okay. who's a, a dream. She's sweet as can be, smart as can be, elegant and beautiful. They made a wonderful couple. They were gracious. We invited everyone in the company. We had like 600 people. They shook everyone's hand. They signed autographs for some rinky-dink showroom in the building. But at the same time, he'd get in his plane and travel out to Seattle to meet with the Nordstrom's people or to the West Coast to meet with the Macy's people or Dillard's people in, in, in Little Rock, Arkansas. The guy did everything, everything. And, and that's my frame of reference. So I saw a businessman who made a promise and delivered it on it. And, and frankly, that's what CEOs do. CEOs can't hide behind the Congress. They can't hide behind legislation. There's nowhere to hide. They can't hide in front of the voters. When a CEO 
is saying he's going to make profits. He either makes profits or he's gone. Man. It's not like politics. So man. the man I met was a stand-up guy who did the right thing by the company, and he did everything he said he would do. And how can I not think of him in that way? May I for Yeah, for, absolutely. Um, no, excellent points, and I'm very curious from your point of view, you know, having an illustrious career, and I know you only spoke about it for a minute, but I've read your background. It's an exemplary career. Um, and as a CEO, I think you would agree that, you know, one of the most important traits is to be able to delegate and trust those around you, correct? Absolutely. Okay. So one of the negatives um, dumped on Trump by the fake media um, is that he won't listen to anyone around him. You've seen his revolving staff. He's lost more administration, high-level administrative positions. His chief of staff is about to resign today or tomorrow. His second chief of staff is going to resign today or tomorrow. Um, and he has a communications problem. I honestly, and I'm not saying this you know, off the cuff, and I'm not kidding about this, I sincerely believe that Sean Hannity is his chief of staff that he is in constant communication with him. He doesn't deny it, and neither does Hannity. And I think that he relates to Hannity. He appointed um, another Fox host today to the UN position uh, that Haley uh, resigned from. Um, so I'm just curious that you know, you're focused on him as a CEO. So how do you square that with his inability to communicate and work with his staff? Well, first of all, thank you for the comments on my career, which maybe give a little credibility to what I'm saying here. Um, I was, asked, I was relating to how I know Donald Trump specifically. Now, when you look at his staff and the turnover, I would say to you this as follows. In my former lives, the thing I hated doing more than anything else was hiring people. The burden and the responsibility of hiring people is something that I just felt overwhelmed by. I don't like playing with people's lives. When you hire someone to your company, if they're not working and you bring them to your company, you gave them a lifeline. But if you didn't do the right job vetting them and understanding what they know and what they do and whether or not it will fit well within your company, you hire them, you gave them a job, but you wasted their time because they're going to be fired. And the time that they were working at your company in the wrong place because you didn't do your job, you wasted their time. I hate that burden. On the other hand, you very often hire people away from very lucrative jobs where they have a future, they have a career, you bring them to the company, and once again, you need to vet them. And if they come in and they're not successful, it's your fault because you are responsible for bringing them to your company. So the idea of hiring people and playing with their lives is something that I always took very, very seriously. And because of that, my interviewing process was brutal. Jesse sat through a few of them. He's seen me make people cry, male and female, because I'm so tough. It's true. Because when they come to my company, I want to make sure they're successful. If you ask me about Donald Trump and the way he's performed from an organizational point of view, this turnover is not acceptable. It's his fault. He should not be having this degree of turnover. He's playing with people's lives. He should know who he's picking. He should know the jobs they're going into. He should su be supporting them, giving them the right support staff. And this kind of turnover, if you ask me about Donald Trump, I would give a very poor rating because this is really not the way it's supposed to be. You know, I really respect someone who could have a conversation about Donald Trump 
and point out his positives and negatives because we're so polarized today that I've had very heated discussions with very close friends who can't even see what you just said. And I'm just trying to make a common sense point of view, an observation of how many people have left and they're going to jump all over it. Every administration turns over. Every time we're on the radio and I talk about Donald Trump, um, I expect to lose half my audience. Or at least that night, I expect them to turn out because I'm talking positively about him. If we want to talk about the comments he made that were taped with NBW, NBC, was it? What was that guy's uh, name? Oh, he uh, Access, Hollywood. Yeah, Access Hollywood. Access Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, you want to talk about that? There's no, there's nothing you could say. There's no debate. Um, but and but you 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 know when you say nobody likes him, 50 million Americans like the fact that he stands up and says things that no one else do, does. I happen to love the fact that he'll never back down. I think it's a little over the top how he takes everything so personally. And perhaps if he wasn't attacked 24-7 every day of the year, he wouldn't take everything so personally. But I, I, that aside, I like that he has a point of view and he won't back down. Well, he and loves once to again, say CEOs don't give in when they believe they have the right thing. They can't be – companies aren't democracies. People don't get a chance to vote. And while we have a government that gives everyone a chance to vote, that guy sitting in that office has to make a lot of very tough decisions, including the one with going on with Khashoggi. There's no right answer to that one. Well, he loves to say he's a counterpuncher. He takes pride in saying he's a counterpuncher. So he invites the battles. He wants the battles. And he's just anti-establishment on almost every front. Well, he, he, he has to be a counterpuncher. He, he, he can't stand for a second without uh, getting hit. But, but how much does in he start? In his corporate life, believe me, he was not a <laughs> counterpuncher. He was an aggressive guy who walked in there with a point of view, and this is what I want, and I'm going to get it. He wasn't counterpunching. Well, you know, he's, he's inviting a lot of it on to himself. David, let me ask you this. If he was an excellent communicator, I'm talking Obama-style speech-making, if he didn't use Twitter... Okay, and you were just basing it based upon his policy and decisions. Would he be receiving the kind of outlash and the kind of everybody hating him? Would people really be looking at him this way? Or is it really just the way he communicates and handles himself? I mean, if you just take it from a policy perspective, how would you look at him? No, great question, because if he was coming across more polished, shall we shall we say? I'm saying as polished as you can be. Um, but he's still saying the substance of what he's saying. You could say it, you could keep the substance and just, you know, clean it up. You could put lipstick on the pig. But I think he would still maybe not get as much um, pressure as he does right now. The media wouldn't be such an enemy of his. But when he's physically throwing out somebody from the media, from a press conference, for asking a legitimate question, I mean, he's bringing that on himself. Well, I also think this might be something that, that we disagree on, too. I actually think Trump is a good communicator. I think that is one of his strengths because he's been able to activate a, uh, a large group of people that felt marginalized. And he he knows how to reach them in this new day and age on Twitter. It's a different way of speaking, but people are looking for someone who's authentic and unvarnished these days. That is totally different than my view on a lot of parts of his policy. But um, to be successful in politics, or to you know, what's what attracts people to celebrities now is someone they feel is not holding back. Well, I, I think you're referring to his element of dumbing down to you know, his constituents. And I don't know how much he's dummying, dummying down because when he's off script, he can't seemingly put a sentence together 
Um, so I don't know if he's consciously dumbing down or that's really how he is speaking to everybody else. But what bothers me is that the people that he is appealing to the most and and he's target his people know exactly what they're doing. They know who they're targeting out there. And they're targeting mostly people who are not educated. They're targeting blue-collar workers. They're targeting people in states with high unemployment. And they're making false promises. And they're trying to lead them to the holy land. So I, I hear what you're saying, but I don't agree that he's a good communicator. Because by the way he's communicating, he's, he's polarizing. He's battling. He's insulting. There isn't anyone that he, this man, will not insult. And it goes, it changes from day to day. He'll be your friend one hour, then he'll hear something, he'll tweet about something the next hour. So, you know, I, I just respectfully disagree with my own son about <laughs> his ability to communicate because to me, that's not what I want the leader of the free world to sound like. Andrew, go in the corner. <laughs> Andrew, time out. Well, time out. I'll, he never had to have a time I out. I would say he's probably an incredible communicator. Fifty-some-odd million people decided he was their man. I, I also wouldn't with respectfully say he's, he's dumbing it down. He, he's giving a message that is inspirational. Now, if I was a big Obama fan, just the idea of Obama, the way he presented himself. This guy's all class. I, I got a kick of watching him skip down the, the Air Force One steps, everything he did. He, from a fashion perspective, he looked great in his clothes. <laughs> He's a good-looking guy. Everything about him I loved, except the results. I thought you were going to say, except for the tan suit. <laughs> the results. Yeah, which, one time he wore a tan suit. Which, he, kind of, which, he took hate for it, but he which, looked great which, in it. Which results? <laughs> yeah, the, the results of what happened in the government. He, he created a, a, a wonderful, nice environment here in the United States, although he was also polarizing. Listen, I, I'll give you a different perspective. The day I heard Nancy Pelosi refer to President Bush as Bush, I knew the world was over. You mean recently? As we knew it. Recently well, or when? way back when he was the president. Bush, Bush, Bush. Which pre president? Which Bush? Which All Bush? of a sudden. Bush, 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 43. Bush 43. Yeah, when did the president become Bush? It was always Mr. President, the president of the United States, POTUS. All of a sudden, she's calling him Bush derogatorily. And they started calling him names. And they hated him for what he did in Iraq. And that's hard to support him. You know, his first term, he was a world beater. Everyone loved him. And going into Iraq, for the reasons they went into Iraq and finding out that they weren't supported, um, he ruined his presidency. But those period in times where, where you could trace back, if you would go back and listen to the way they referred to the president, and you know, we all have heard it, but I believe it. You have to respect the office, and people started to disrespect the office. And President Obama never got a fair shake. He was vilified by the Republicans. There wasn't a day that went by that they didn't treat him miserably. They didn't vote for anything he wanted to. But I think there was a difference then. I really believe the Republicans were against his policies. Today, half of the problems are we're against the Republican policies and you're against this man. And that's the part that's really troublesome now. And can you imagine what the life will be like for the next president if he was a Democrat? You think everybody's going to forget this? If we don't figure out how to talk nicely to one another, regardless of the man, this is going to continue to perpetuate itself and nothing will ever get done. And I'll get off my soapbox now. Well, do, do you think this is something that it's going to get better in terms of uh, people being less polar polarized over the next decade? Oh, not in the next two years. Over the next decade? 
I'd like to think that you know, a moderate would be our next president, whether it's a Democrat or Republican. I'd like to think that could happen in, in our society. I don't think that's going to happen. I would say that I'd like to think, but I don't, I don't see it happening. Um, depending what happens in the next six months with Trump, will determine whether he's going to be there for the next term to even to run. Um, you mean with the Mueller investigation? Yeah, sure. Mueller's going to come out in the next you know, month or two or three, and then Congress is going to decide what they're going to do about it. Um, you know, I, I find it, you know, and I know we're not there yet. We're not in that discussion. I don't know if you want to get into the discussion about dads who law too about, about <laughs> Trump true. and you know the investigation and where it's going. But listen, I'm an advocate of when there's where there's smoke, there's fire. When they were circling around Nixon, it happened to Nixon. When they were circling around Clinton, it happened to Clinton. When they were circling around, you know, Gary Hart and all the other politicians that go down the line, it happens. It very rarely is there an investigation of this magnitude and nothing comes of it. Well, there's a whole discussion about. Uh, if there would be any wrongdoing, whether or not he would get impeached, whether or not he would get removed, whether or not his inner circle, who Don Jr., there's all a million First, first of all, he'll never be – when people hear the word impeached, they automatically think he's kicked out of office right. as, long, no. as soon as you're impeached. He'll not be impeached. He'll not be removed from office. Impeachment is just bringing of the charges by Congress, and you just need a majority to do that in Congress, which if they want to, they'll get. Then you need two-thirds of the Senate – to convict him, which they'll never get. Right, so, removing him. Right, to, to remove him. My question, just going back for a second, okay, about whether or not he's treated fairly. So, fake news, okay? I'm curious from your perspective. Is it really fake news? Is there, are there stories you think that are inaccurate? Or are they just reporting the details that he doesn't like? The opposite side of it is you will turn on a news network and it is constant Trump 24-7 but negative stories. So does he have a point? Or is there something – when, when he's saying fake news, there's facts that, that they're putting out that are just inaccurate. No, he's throwing around fake news as a deflection and diverting from the issue – the core issues. And there is a litany of you know, falsehoods and lies that he said from, from day one. So is he using is, – are there inaccuracies in the media? Absolutely, 100 percent. But it's not constant fake news like he says it is. You know, there are, as I said, an armful – daily of lies that this man says, and he tries to flip it by saying fake news. It's it's a page book out of Fox News and the spin factor that when something is not going your way, you're going to spin it and basically deflect with the opposite argument. But I don't really even think he thinks that it's fake news. He just wants to pin people against the media. So instead of believing them, they believe him. He, he knows that. You believe that? I believe everybody's entitled to a fair shake. I don't believe President Obama was given a fair shake, and I certainly don't believe President Trump is being given a fair shake. I think the dislike of this man is so great that it's constant and never-ending. The interesting thing is, is we talk about communication. I think there's shortfalls in the communication. Um, you know, the issue with Khashoggi, it pretty much seems that we know what happened. Pretty much seems that we know what happened. But do you remember um, what started, what were the catalyst of World War I was? Friends for no, World War II. I mean, I know you guys are only <laughs> lawyers two. and went to school. No, I went to one. school 50 one? years ago. As assassination of Archduke Ferdinand. Oh, that was impressive. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. My there you go. Is point. Was it Franz Ferdinand? Or was that the yeah. band? Archduke so some, yeah. some esoteric guy 
got assassinated. I think he was the of, of Austria, maybe if yeah, I remember maybe, correctly. Probably. And it started World War One. Now this thing has happened. It's dastardly. There's no excuse. There, there, It's just one of the worst things that can happen. A guy getting murdered if for the, what he believes. It's terrible. But the president has to manage this situation. And do we want to start World War Three over it? That's what's going on. I don't care what anyone says. They're thinking about Saudi Arabia, the position in the world, the position with the United States, and, and the need for st- stability and the need for trade and all these things. And the president really is not doing a good job or can't say what's really on his mind. They're just going to kill him. And he's prepared, in my view, to take this verbal killing because he knows he's doing the right thing. That's what I believe is going on here. If I was the president, and now that I know there, he's probably listening to your podcast. Probably. Mm-hmm. What's it called? I can't seem to get it. Guys who Guys who Now that I know he's listening, what I believe he needs to do is, is from time to time to stand up and say, look, I know many of you there don't like me. And you have your reasons, and you're probably right. I'm not for everyone. I'm an acquired taste. But I will tell you, if you just watch what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to solve all the problems that have been around for 50 years and no one else has tried to solve. Some of them are ugly, this whole issue of immigration. Nobody's talking about why we have immigration, what was its purpose when it was first established, where we are today, do we have enough people in the United States, do we need more, shouldn't we? Have legal immigration is what he's saying. I mean, try and go into Mexico without a passport or a visa. Just try. Impossible. There's no country in the world you can go to without a visa or a passport. And yet he's just trying to do it, and he's being eviscerated. Is that a real word, a good word? Eviscerated. Eviscerated, thank you. Close enough. For trying to solve something that's been out there forever. And this is what the problem is with his presidency, the problem with his perception, the problem with whether or not there is or is not fake news, and his frustration. And I, I, I'm troubled by it because I think this is the predecessor of what's going to come every administration, administration. It's coming back to law school. You had to suffer if you went into corporate law because the guy sitting there before you had to suffer. The Republicans are not going to forget this. Well, your recommendation, which makes total sense, will fall on deaf ears because he doesn't listen to his political advisors. And to get up and say once in a while, you may not agree with me, but look at the bigger picture. Look what I'm trying to accomplish. He will never, never come to terms with that. You see, that's a very good point, David. You know, I talked about the importance of bringing people in and the responsibility you're playing with people's lives and you're hiring them. When I sat across from Trump, uh, he was looking at me because he respected me. He knew I had the power, and he knew I knew what I was doing. He knows I was the president of the best shirt company in the world. He knew it, and he wanted me to come in. And he had to treat me in a certain way to convince me. And during the course of our time together, you know, he would meet my wife. He was so gracious to my wife. He's so gracious to everyone, as I said. He was a stand-up guy. I question whether he is respecting the people he's put in place. I do believe he respects the military. I do believe he respects the military minds that are sitting there. But I think he writes off a lot of them as bureaucrats and politicians, and he doesn't look at them the right way. And that's partially why he can't listen to them. 
Let me, I need to ask you a question because you're the perfect person for this. You've dealt with thousands of businessmen in your career. When you dealt with him, did you feel that his intelligence and his understanding and his comprehension was up to par? <laughs> Uh, do I have a few minutes? Of course. <laughs> There's an old movie uh. called No Time for Sergeants. It was with a guy named Andy Griffin from Mayberry. Remember Andy Abs- Griffin? Absolutely. This movie, Andy Griffith, I don't remember why, and another fellow, Nick Adams, get drafted into the Army. One is a country bumpkin from who knows where down south, and Andy Griffin from New Jersey or wherever, or Louisiana. I apologize to those uh, states if I'm getting it wrong. But he was just a regular guy who knew nothing. And they're in a cafeteria one day, and a woman walks in, and she's a captain. And all the other... Army guys start to, whoa, look at that, woo, whistling, whoa, look at her. She was a beautiful captain. And Andy Williams saw her. Andy Griffith? And they said, Andy Griffin, sorry, saw her and they said, what do you think? I forgot his name. He said, about what? About, and he said, all I see is a captain. And that's it. You have to respect the people you have in place. You have to respect them. All I see is a successful person who knows their job. And I don't know whether he's doing that. I don't know whether he's vetting it. But respect goes a long way in corporate life. Now, I've just spoken to other people who've done business with him, and it's been well documented. All I saw was a successful CEO. Okay. L- l- let me ask you this, David. Fair enough. The, he, do you think he listens to his family? Because he's put them in pretty important positions. Yes. I think he listens to his family. I think he listens to Jared. I think he listens to Ivanka. Um... To a point, I think push comes to shove, he's going to do his own thing. Do I think that Ivanka or Jared is telling him that he has to, what Mark suggested, you know, go out there, be a little bit more humble? This guy's never going to you know, be humble in his life. Is he going to have to try to change his message? Um, I don't think so. I think that they're, they're advising him on some policy. And they're trying to make a bad situation, a perception, from perception-wise, bad situation, as good as possible. That's what I think his entire staff is trying to do. Do you think it's important they're there to talk to him? I do. I do. I think that without that, the family around him and whatever balance they're giving him, he'd be further off the handle than he's shown to be. And then there's been sort of like other business uh, situations that – we heard about during the campaign where he was, I remember one story where he was working with an architect and they had him uh, put together the plans for a new uh, part of a country club or something like that and then they didn't end up paying, paying him. So I think different people might have had different experiences with Trump, but... Um, he's, he's, yeah. He is a very litigious person. And when you were first telling your story, Mark, I thought you were going to say you decided not to do business with him, and I was going to say that it was probably the best decision you've ever made. But if it was a positive experience and if it was a profitable experience for you, and you you prefaced it by saying we have nothing to lose. So I don't know what the financial structure was, and I don't know who was taking the risk there, but obviously you felt you weren't taking the risk. But there have been people, and and a lot of them are the laborers out there and the contractors who he, he likes to stick. And he's not alone. I'm not trying to paint him a picture that he's the only 
anyone doing all this. Paint contractors as saints with all the due respect to contractors. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm sorry to disappoint you that he was a stand-up guy, but that's you're, my only frame no, of reference. You, you're not him. disappointing me, and I, I like to hear as much of both sides as I can. But the facts are the facts. And I think when he took his office, there was over 400 pending lawsuits against him. Look, he'll, he'll never recover from the perception problem. Wherever it was before he got to run for the presidency, the 17 or 16 other people on the stage with him, some of the things he said can, can never be forgiven. Well, never. Do, you, do you remember the first thing he tweeted about after he took office? Remind us. The, the, the size of the crowd at the inauguration. <laughs> now, I mean, so when you say, you know, he'll, he'll never be able to, you know, avoid the criticism. And again, I come back to he brings it on himself. The first two, the whole, the first week, it was either the size of the audience or that um, the vote was uh, fraudulent, that he, she, that she didn't beat me, Hillary didn't beat me in the popular vote. I mean, what president starts out his first week in office worrying about these petty BS issues? That's where it started, Mark. Well, I'm, I'm not trying to defend him across the board. I'm being very specific in the places where I think he's done well and the places where I, I, I don't think he's done well. You know, from a business I, I love the fact, you know, from a business point of view, when he took on the post office and, and Amazon. You, you ever think about this? The post office is losing money. I, I, I wanted to jump on the TV and kiss him right there. How can the post office lose money? They have a monopoly on every letter that goes out in the world. And whether they're selling that stamp today at 42 cents, if they raise it to 52 cents, how could the post office be losing money? It's impossible as the CEO must be pulling his hair out. And frankly, if the post office and the government was doing their right, you think there'd be FedEx and UPS today? No way those companies would ever have got their foot in the door if they knew how to run businesses in the federal government. It's unbelievable. So when he talks about those things, you got to step aside for a moment and say, gee whiz, he, he's not all that bad. He, his policies and his approach to the government, I think, should be looked at more carefully. Don't automatically say no because you don't like him. Now, the fact that he's not liked, I believe he brought a lot of that on himself. But I don't think he'd be the president if he didn't behave the way he did, standing with those other 16 people and pointing his finger at them and calling them names. But Crazy, but he did it. Do, do you okay. think um, that a president should operate the government like he would a business? You were talking before that it's, it's different, that it's a democracy as opposed to in a business, it's probably a little bit more of a dictatorship. There's stakeholders and <laughs> there's stakeholders in both, but there's you know it, it's 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 not necessarily all for profit, et cetera. What what do you think? Mm. As a taxpayer, I wish he had more freedom. When I get my check <laughs> and I look what's left and I see all the waste that's going on, you know they he he when, again when then when did I love him when he looked at Air Force One and said it cost four billion dollars to build the plane. We did a show, and I started talking about it. I did a show called I Don't Mind Spending Money, But I Hate Wasting It. And he looked at the plane. Now, I'll throw it out this way. He said, how could it cost $4 billion? I bought my jet. It was $200 million. $4 billion? Think about this. That jet, all the technology associated with stealth and, and radar avoidance and, and whatever measures there are, countermeasures to keep it safe, have already been invented by the Air Force, the Marines, the Army, the Navy. They've done all of that. So there should be no cost involved with that. And then when it really comes down to it, 
there are raw materials in the labor. It, the same size plane shouldn't cost any more to put together than the other plane. And when you really get into that kind of stuff, this is brilliant stuff. But because of the government and their bureaucracy, we can't have these conversations. And as a taxpayer, the taxes keep going up and up and up. More and more of the money is wasted. And we never break through this. We're in this cycle that, that will never change. And I applaud the fact that he's trying to. But I am devastated watching how you can't break through. And he's banging his head against the wall to try and change these things. But you see, he has to back down. He has to get quiet. You haven't heard about the post office losing money in a while. Do you know in the post office there, I didn't know this, there are only certain size boxes they're allowed to handle. It gets to a certain size they're not allowed. I don't follow the post office that much. Well, but so I, I, I asked Federal Express. I brought a golf bag. The thing weighed a million pounds to bring this. It's no problem. They brought some guy out and a girl. The two of them lifted this thing, put it in a box. I said, isn't that too heavy for you? But this is our job. The post office, they never take it. That's why there's FedEx. There's so many things that could be done with. He'll never get a chance because of the way he approached the presidency. So it's, it's really unfortunate to see. But Obama didn't have a chance either, and that's the problem. And it'll go on and on and on. Let's say there's no legal issues for him being removed, nothing like that. Do you think, David, that he would be reelected in uh, 2020? Interesting question. Um, the electorate right now has changed with the recent midterms. Uh, there are more Democratic governors elected in pivotal states. Um, there was a very close race in Florida, but the uh, Democratic candidate lost the uh, the governorship there, so it was a Republican governor. But in um, some key states like Pennsylvania and Ohio, uh, Michigan, uh, the, the state legislature has changed. I think that the fact that he will not be running against Hillary Clinton uh, is going to help the Democrats. But I also don't think the Democrats can just run their traditional campaign. Uh, so do I think he would win today? I don't. Two years from now is an eternity. But I do think that the, the math lines up right now better for the Democrats than it did last time. Do you think two years is a long time? Is there anything that he could do from now till then that would change the way you look at him and maybe cast a vote in his favor? Well, perhaps if he were to stand up, as, as your dad suggested, if he would take note of those people who have serious problems with his policies. But his interference with government is what bothers me the most. He is trying to control the Federal Reserve. He's trying to res control um, the Supreme Court. I mean, he's trying to control serious branches of government, which is far over, over the steps of what a president should be involved in. I mean, the stories are getting lost from, from day to day. But, you know, when the Federal Reserve is trying to correct what they did during the crash of 2008-2009 when they, you know, deflated the interest rates and they were just printing money and now they're raising the interest rates and Trump is giving them a hard time. And this is in every almost every element of government. So could he do – I can't see him doing enough to ever have my vote. And Mark, do you have, do you have the opposite opinion there? Because you, you were kind of alluding to that you wish he could take more control, you, that he can like make decisions without all this bureaucracy in place. Well, I, I'm not a rocket scientist. And like you, I didn't want to be an astronaut. You might be. <laughs> I still do. <laughs> yeah. 
So I can't tell you from a financial point of view whether or not you should play with the Federal Reserve or not. I will tell you that when our interest rates were at zero, who was defending the retirees in this country? I never heard a single word about it because a lot of their income was from fixed income and interest rates. And when they disappeared, you were forcing retirees to invest their money in risky stock. There's a whole principle called uh, unintended consequences, and that's the scariest thing about government in life. When you're making decisions, they have to last the test of time because they're going to be consequences. You take a pebble and you throw it in a body of water. The pebble disappears, but the ripples keep going on and on and on. And the decisions we make in government, the ripples go on and on and on. And it's very frightening. So playing with the Federal Reserve, I don't know. Um, some of the other things he's pushing for, I don't know. I don't know that he's all that different from anyone else in that regard. I really don't. I'll tell you one thing. This was a very civil conversation. Yeah, this, is, this one much more congenial than I expected. Yeah, we, we expected fireworks, but I actually am happy that there was more of a civil conversation, like you said, David, that w if more people had this conversation, maybe it wouldn't be a war zone like it currently is. No, you're ab absolutely correct. And as, as I said before, I, I find it disheartening that if you're speaking to someone who supports Trump, they just they can't see his faults or the weaknesses or when we bring up statistics or questions they are, you know, just refuse to push back an inch. And in all fairness, it's the same on the other side, too, sometimes. Oh, yeah. You know, for sometimes? Support, oh, I mean, it goes both ways, is all I'm saying. Yes. It, it does, but the degree here, I think, is magnified by some of his own actions. And I'm not looking, you know, just to beat the guy up, but come on. I mean, when you, you say and you tweet the shit that he says every day, you know, what do you expect? I mean, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I really was looking forward to fireworks today. I hope this <laughs> was good. Too. I hope this was good podcast listening. Maybe, maybe we got, got it a little bit at the end. I, <laughs> you, know, I, you know, if you want me to give you the summation of your last question, there's no effing way that I have a vote for this guy. What are you, crazy? <laughs> you know, I, I lived a life in corporate life. And uh, corporate life is kind of like the military and only in that there are rules and the disciplines and there's, there's a roadmap on how you're supposed to act and react. And this particular president is not following that roadmap. And there's a problem there in that he is setting an example for the country. People are looking to him for leadership. They're looking at him for advice. People want to look up to the president. And in corporate life, it's extremely important to set a situation where people could look at you and want to respect you and want to follow you to the ends of the earth. Unfortunately, he has not done that. And, and that's, that is one of the things I would be critical of. But nonetheless, in the end, my, my point of view here is the reason there's not fireworks is because there are certain results taking place. There are people working. The economy's doing better. And he is approaching some really, really tough subjects, and it's hard to argue with you know, what he's doing in Korea, what he's pushing for in China. Hey, the UN, he, he has a role as a leader to be a leader, and he's shortfall on that. Jesse, what I will tell you about casting votes is that if your dad decided to run for office, I'd ha he'd have my support. <laughs> you know you're not the first person to say that. You know, and, and listen, you wanted your kids to go into politics, Mark. You know, you've had a very successful career. There is some very successful businessmen who are considering running for office right now, albeit the highest office in the land. But, you know, maybe give it some thought. We just made a match, campaign manager. Come on. Yeah. Thank you. I'll tell you what I would like. I'd like to stay on the radio, and I'd like to be syndicated. Now, Andrew, you can help with that. <laughs> well, on that note, um, let's do a little 
promotion, Always in Fashion is your radio show, right? Yes, what, yes. What, what, day, what day is it on? We're on, Jesse and I are on Saturday nights at 8 p.m., Sunday nights at 5 p.m. on WABC in New York, like Trump. You ready? We're Bigly. We're the largest talk radio station <laughs> in the country. We're also on 103.9 Cumulus's FM Urban Station. I'm the only talk show on that station, which is very clever. So thank you for calling that out. So everybody tune into that. And Dad, you want to mention your firm too? Well, the firm name is Eisberg and Marsh. But the thing I'm most proud about about my law practice is the work we do um, on behalf of 9-11 victims um, who have been diagnosed with cancer and respiratory illnesses. Uh, for those who were in uh, the area below Canal Street with, for the eight months following 9-11 and have developed and been diagnosed with cancers now, 17, 18 years later. Um, and there is a, f a federal fund set up, um, which we don't have to get into the politics of that, but it is expiring in 2020, so it's very important that fund gets extended. So we do a lot of work uh, representing uh, those victims, and they can go on the website of Eisberg and Marsh or call us at 888-CALL-LAW, and we'd be happy to represent them. Or direct message us on, on the Guys Who Law Instagram, <laughs> and, and we'll put you in touch. Yeah, um, absolutely. We'll, we'll take care of it. Don't worry. But um, many viewers. Thank you both for coming in, and thank you both for producing us, because uh, this wouldn't have happened if, if you didn't. Co-producer. Co Co-producer. Yeah, good, co good job. Co-producer. As I say, my jeans, we, I, we had a good day that day. <laughs> Do you want to hear what led up to that night, Andrew? Oh, we you can know? say that for another okay. episode. Yeah. All right, everybody. We will see you. Well, you'll hear us next week. Thank Thanks. you, guys. Thank you.